This podcast was recorded at Hartford Street Zen Center, Isanji, in San Francisco. Please help support our temple by making a donation at hscc.org. Good morning. most important um, uh, instruction for our practice is um, right, right at the beginning of the Heart Sutra, where it explains that um, the, the Bodhisattva of compassion, Avalokiteshvara, uh, In the Sanskrit, it says, Gambhiram Prajna Paramita Charyam Charamanaha, which means Avokiteshwar uh, is uh, carrying out uh, the deep wisdom that transcends. That is, um, that's the sum total of our meditative experience. Now when uh, we're sitting, it's uh, easier to uh, uh, we could say bear witness to the phenomena that are arising. But when you say it that way, it implies that there is someone bearing witness. But if you attend carefully to the phenomena as they come up, be able to find anyone bearing witness. And as Buddha taught, those uh, features of our experience that he described are all that there is. Some Buddhist traditions explicitly set for the practitioner the task of rooting out this supposed witness. Using exhausting mental exercises But the, uh, the uh, deep practice of transcendent wisdom is uh, it's exhausting enough. <laughs> and practiced consistently uh, inevitably begins to erode our trust in the supposed, um, the uh, sovereign separate self.
which uh, eons of experience incline us to assume is present. But that sovereign self has never been found and never will be. And as Buddha said, we should, uh, or anyway, he invites us to verify that for ourselves or to let that be verified. So that uh, verifying is, is uh, happening now. And like uh, someone who is uh, hoping that by turning around very fast, that person can catch his or her own shadow, uh, we can uh, in the midst of this the phenomena of this body-mind we can try and see if we can catch that observer but just enough so that we can be convinced that uh, Buddha was wrong and that sure enough there is that sovereign entity right there sitting here together with you now. I can't find that being. Uh, so that beyond, in addition to the upwelling stream of this life, there isn't someone. To practice in this way, using the yogic support of this body-mind in uh, a uh, yogically helpful position, whatever that might be. This is the deep practice of wisdom that transcends. And if uh, if you carry this out consistently, maybe little by little, uh, that doubt that I'm speaking of will increase. And uh, sometimes people get a little nervous when that happens.
but the um, the body mind is is actually extremely durable and flexible. Uh, so if we're a little nervous, that's not a problem. And in addition to maybe being a little nervous. This body-mind can also sense that there is, there is tremendous peace somewhere. And as we've said before, just a reminder, not to go looking for that piece because it doesn't have characteristics that you already uh, can claim to have understood. After all, how do you go looking for something that has no sign? This week has, is um, not uncommon, unfortunately. <clears throat> uh, so it was great to be able to sit this morning. And um, to uh, take refuge in the deep practice of wisdom that transcends. And to be reminded that uh, maybe during this week I wasn't, uh, I was being a little lax. And uh, kind of forgetting that uh, that practice does not only take place on the cushion. The, uh, the true meditation hall, the true place of practice, has no walls. So I, I celebrate our karma that has allowed us to encounter this teaching and to put it to work. And the, the fact that we are together here today means that we've been together for eons already. Uh, 
encountering each other life after life. As the Tibetans say, sometimes we're the mother, sometimes the child, over and over again. The, uh, the Tibetans also recommend that um, In order to undertake such a practice, it's good to have certain prerequisites. And uh, one way they talk about that is they say there are, there are three prerequisites that uh, we should bring to uh, the practice of transcendent wisdom. Uh, one is we should uh, have we should have a little um, well, freedom, I guess, or a little ability to be aware that there is space besides all of the tumultuous emotional activity in our life. So we should, at the very least, have some deep trust that all of this stuff that is going on moment after moment in our life is taking place in a vast space. So there's some freedom there. We no longer believe that we're just totally pinned down by our stuff. So that's one prerequisite. And the second is, uh, we should um, in one way or another, we should take on the bodhisattva vow so that our effort is directed towards liberation for all beings. Without that, we can start to become like some, I don't know, some creepy wizard. He's like trying to cook up some powers for oneself. And that, that's actually quite dangerous. So this commitment to the final and ultimate well-being of everything is an important prerequisite. And the third one is we should uh, ideally have some sense of the profound truth of the teachings of emptiness. 
just as the <coughs> secondary requisite, the Bodhisattva vow is uh, so that we don't get wrapped up in some kind of personal project. The teaching of emptiness keeps us from reifying what we're doing and becoming convinced that, oh, I am doing this great, this cool thing. I am practicing transcendent wisdom and this is very cool. I am um, dressed in a splendid wardrobe and surround myself with Asian antiques and uh, having a great time here. So to reify practice into something that we do will be um, weakened, if not prevented, by insight into the truth of emptiness. That all things dependently co-arise. Nothing exists from its own side. So with these three prerequisites in place, <coughs> the practice of transcendent wisdom can uh, simply uh, carry itself along indefinitely and its, uh, it's uh, splendor which you cannot see will inform your life and the lives of others. So in a way, to uh, come to the, the practice hall and take our, our seat, adjust our posture is a gesture of fantastic trust in the Buddha way. That too informs our life and the lives of those we meet. This is a feature of spiritual life, as far as I know, worldwide. I heard a charming story the other day. This is from uh, Mount Athos, a uh, monastic peninsula there in Greece with 20-some-odd contemplative communities, and uh, they have a story there, you know, they, uh, when, the, when the monks die, they uh, put them in sarcophagi or a casket and leave them there until there are only the bones left. And then when the bones 
are all that's left, they will take the bones and put them in an ossuary, a, a room devoted to that storage. And sometimes if it's a quite celebrated monk, they'll actually write the name on the skull as they put it in these little niches in the walls. And uh, one uh, Easter, one of the monastics went to the, that particular monastery's ossuary, went inside and said, Once I asked uh, Hoitsu Roshi, Suzuki son, to uh, do a calligraphy for me. Uh, I asked him, would he write, Shobo Genzo Nehan Myoshin? He said uh, he couldn't. And because uh, those words were too high. Uh, so I can't finish that story right now. I'm sorry. The monastic words are too high. Maybe another time. sit here for a long time with you all, but uh, maybe instead I'll just see if you have any questions. Thank you very much.